We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. I would put myself in the same category as D-Wade. Now Artest is jumped over the scorer's table. Artest is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, September 12th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Alex, we decided to keep a tight schedule today. We, Those who listen to the podcast know that we sometimes have a tendency to ramble. We'll sit down and say, all right, we'll knock this out in 45 minutes. All of a sudden, we look and we've been going for 80 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but we, we want to do two minutes on every team in the NBA. Exactly two minutes, no more, hopefully no less, although... Certain teams, the Magic, for example, just don't have a lot to say. Uh, but before we get to that, a couple news items. Team USA, it has gotten worse. Yeah, uh, The sky looked to be falling two days ago uh, when they suffered their first loss at the hands of France. Uh, now they lose to Serbia in what was ultimately a meaningless game. And, and USA will now play for seventh place on Saturday. 
I believe, maybe Friday. I, 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 I kind of stopped caring <laughs> midway through the pool play round. I cared even less after they lost to France, and now I'm, now I'm totally out. Um, but the one thing I do want to hit on with regard to this is kind of the reversal in public opinion on Donovan Mitchell, especially. Uh, like two weeks ago, when, when they had just broken camp, you know, there were all these reports that Donovan Mitchell was playing so well. This was going to help him, as it has other players in the past, kind of get to that next level. And he played well in the loss to France, and it was kind of glossed over. Really struggled this morning against Serbia, and all of a sudden the narrative is turned. Where can can playing for Team USA now hurt someone? Like hurt you in terms of confidence uh, when it, when it kind of turns out like this? I think it can. I mean, if the if the I if the expectations are so high, or you you come out really strong, um, like all the coaches are like hyping you up. And then all of a sudden, like you don't perform when you're when you're on the court, then I think people, mm-hmm. yeah, can almost ha- start to have a negative opinion about you. At the same time, like I'm not a person who puts a huge stock into Team USA stuff, and Mitchell, like he's he's not some super efficient player. Like he's bound to have bad games once in a while, just kind of the nature yep. of of who he is as a player. So I I wouldn't put too much stock into it. No, um, disappointing showing nonetheless. I think something that people won't care about in a week. It. Yeah, There's just no. nothing else going on. There's nothing else for people to care about uh, other than Joe Johnson officially returning mm-hmm. to the NBA uh, on a kind of partially guaranteed deal. I think details are still kind of trickling out. This was just a half hour or so ago. Uh, it was reported going to sign with Detroit straight out of the big three, yes. uh, the pipeline that is the big three. Joe Johnson signs before Carmelo Anthony. I feel like that's notable. Um, but in order to facilitate this and, and free up a roster spot, even for training camp, the Pistons had to part ways with Michael Beasley unbelievable decision i mean i I understand joe johnson looked good in the big three i know he's been a great nba player for a long time but at what cost you know is it worth it i don't i probably not i don't think so in my opinion no so he's basically going to compete with christian wood for the 15th roster spot but what's interesting with joe johnson is if he makes the team he's not going to be the 15th man he's competing for a roster (laughs) spot but if he makes the roster you would think he's going to play he'll be in the mix i I don't think he's going to be a 25 minute a night guy but you know, somewhere between 12 and 15 minutes off the bench for a team that beyond Luke Kennard and I, I guess Bruce Brown, who played a decent amount last year. I think they have Langston Galloway still. Like, There's not a lot of talent on this roster, especially no. at the position Joe Johnson plays. Yeah, it's small forward. They're especially thin. Yep. They're probably going to start Tony Snell. They have Svima Hiluk. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think if, you know, if Johnson makes a team, which I'm assuming he will, um he'll probably play a lot of small forward maybe even power forward i'm not really sure he played a little bit of that with the jazz towards the end yeah yeah i mean they don't have a lot of depth anywhere you know they they added markeith morris up front you get thon maker for a full year (laughs) they drafted dumbuya but i don't expect him to play too much um at the end of the day not a move that that really moves the needle though in terms of the piston season no i don't think so all right, let's get down to it. Uh, we'll go alphabetical order, which means we're starting with the Atlanta Hawks. Can you please put two minutes on the timer? Two minutes are on the timer. All right, the biggest questions facing each team in the NBA, the Atlanta Hawks. Mine is, will DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish or both emerge as another core piece for this team? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the Hunter pick. I mean, they seem really confident in him considering they trade it up uh, for him and reddish slipped in the draft so i mean there's always potential there i think yeah i mean i i feel pretty sad about trey young john collins it's just beyond that i i'm not really sure what to think of like like you're asking the other players on this team and if they're trying to compete um at all but i mean i 
Hunter and Ruggish will have all the chances in the world to to prove yeah. that they're they're a core piece. Two picks in the top ten. They badly need another wing. You have Trey Young in place. You have John Collins in place. Kevin Herter kind of seems to be. Yeah, he's not on the level of those two, but he's he's a future piece for sure. Um, and then you know we talk about a team that has two guys going forward who are potential perennial all stars. You know, two three years down the road, center and small forward are kind of the two spots they need to fill out. They get two hacks at it with Hunter and Reddish. Um, if either of those guys show a lot of promise, I, I think that that kind of changes the trajectory, perhaps of their season. Yeah, I agree. In terms of what the goals are, right? And my, you know, my question for this team is really, what is the ceiling of Trey Young? What is the ceiling of John Collins? I feel really good about both of them personally. I mean, Collins basically averaged twenty and ten last year. Um, you know, Young started off really slow, had a great, you know, had a great second half to the season. So. I mean, are they perennial all-stars? Are these guys who, I mean, especially in the East, could be all-stars for eight, nine, ten years? Mm-hmm. And I if think, so, I mean, are they just a playoff team constantly? I think for both of them, it's going to be defensively. You know, but John Collins That's is true. already essentially a 2010 guy. Trey Young, you know, could kind of follow that Curry type of archetype on offense. But can they bring it defensively? Will it be more than just offensive numbers? Will it actually translate to wins? All right. Not bad. The Boston Celtics. Can Boston get passable minutes at center? That's part one. I, I kind of cheated on this one. And at some point, do they enter the Brad Beal sweepstakes? I think, I mean, Cantor's fine for 24 to 28 minutes. I think that's that's good enough. Um, other than that, you know, Tice has been somewhat reliable for them. Robert Williams gives them some upside at the position. I'm not that worried about them um, at, at center, but I, I think the Beal sweepstakes would be really good. Um for them i mean if they can i mean i don't know how much interest the wizards have in jalen brown but they should um some other guys in the roster i mean maybe robert williams ends up in that trade too is tatum off the table for beal beal would have one more year on his deal after next year i'm not sure because if you can get kemba and beal and if hayward becomes you know basically an 18 point per game guy again um and maybe you can yeah I, i don't know if he's totally off the table I think it's going to be wait and see for Tatum. You know, if he gets off to a hot start, he's probably not on the table. I, I would say as of right now, he's not. But if he struggles, if he, you know, we, we the, the, the amount that him as an asset diminished from year one to year two was fairly significant. And obviously he's so young, he can he can get his stock right back up. But, you know, if it kind of looks like he's plateauing, I think it'll be interesting. Yours was... Does Gorgon Hayward represent the ceiling of this team? Basically saying, like, if Gorgon Hayward has another year like he did last year, I, I don't think that'll happen. But if he can't really recover as a player, then how far can this team really go? <clears throat> and some of that does depend on like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. But it, I think if if Hayward can be who he used to be as a player, that takes the Boston like up to another level yep. to the point where they would easily be competing with the likes of of Milwaukee and and Philadelphia. I think that's a great way to phrase it. If Gordon Hayward's great, this team could be great. If Gordon Hayward is average to above average, this team is probably average to above average, meaning right. they're on a tier below milwaukee and philadelphia so yeah I, I, to answer your question yes i think gordon hayward does represent the ceiling of the boston celtics all right the brooklyn nets uh your question for this one i'll let you lead off yeah i mean will will Kyrie alienate his teammates like he did in boston and can the team stay right. healthy I, I feel like question one is the obvious one like do we right. we don't know I, I don't neither of us can give you know a real answer to that one until we see it actually happen uh, but in terms of staying healthy karis levert missed a lot of time last season um Kyrie Irving has missed a lot of time yes. over the last few years I think he's probably the biggest concern um but to me overall I mean I th- those are legitimate questions I 
I, I just see the Nets in a holding pattern this year. I think right. this is the, you know, hopefully everything goes well with Kyrie. Hopefully he builds chemistry with a lot of these guys who they think will stick around. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think they're in a holding pattern. They'll be pretty good. But next year, you know, is when this thing really takes off. Yeah, I agree. And especially it'll be interesting because even if Kyrie does get along, you know, with with the guys this year, then Durant gets thrown into the mix. How much of these guys going to play next year? I mean, it's basically a two year long chemistry experiment, yep. which is dangerous, which is also going to change drastically when you put Kevin Durant into the mix. That's next what I mean, season. Yeah. My question, will DeAndre Jordan stunt the growth of Jared Allen? That's a legitimate question because Jerry Allen should be playing like 30 minutes a game. Yep. Probably. Probably should have been doing that last year. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, you know, I think, I think optimistically for Allen, he'll actually still play 28, 29 minutes a game because this year, I don't, I don't think the Nets are going to be like that competitive this year as far as like a team that will push for the, you know, Eastern Conference finals or anything. So maybe DeAndre Jordan's willing to take a backseat this year. Um, but beyond that, yeah, it's hard to tell. Kind of a strange signing. Um, you know, it did seem like he was a package deal with Durant and, and Kyrie <laughs> yes. to some degree. Um, and if you're getting those two, it's worth it to bring in a guy who's still pretty productive. It's not like they demanded that they bring in Kendrick Perkins for $15 million a year. You know, like DeAndre, you, there are worse guys to be splitting time with than DeAndre Jordan, but... Uh, I, I do think there is some risk when when you look at the future of this team. I, I think certainly it's Jared Allen at center, not not DeAndre Jordan three years down the road. The Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, can an NBA team be relegated to the G League? I think is a legitimate so question. We're going to find out that we have to ask. Um, the, <laughs> the the amount of the amount of ways this can go wrong are it, it, it's it you can't you can't even count them. I mean, Rosier. I is there a way it could go right? I think that might be the yeah, better right. way to ask it. Like, what what even is a good season for them? Uh, Bridges has like a ridiculous breakout okay. year, which I'm sure he'll be better. But now what I'm expecting, Nick Batum turns back into like a top fifty fantasy player. Um, Kogi, Ze- yeah, Kogi Zeller plays seventy five games. <laughs> I'm just picturing like James Borrego up on the podium. And, you know, we struggled again tonight, but Nick Batum. I mean, his fantasy stock is on the way back up. Everybody, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist gets that jump shot down. It's just. It's rare that you have a team with so many veterans um, that is going to be this bad. You know, like, right, yes, we'll get to Memphis in a little bit, but like they're in a great, great situation. They can lose, they can lose 82 games and still feel pretty, as, as long as like Morant and, and Jaron Jackson look okay, still feel pretty good about where they are and, you know, get the number one pick next year where Charlotte is just so, so far away. My question is, will Terry Rozier go full Antoine Walker? Uh, since 1980, uh, only 11 times has a player averaged 20 points per game and shot under 40% from the field. Terry Rozier has never shot better than 40% from the field throughout his career. Right. His usage is going to skyrocket. Um, you know, Antoine Walker in, in 2001 averaged 22 points per game on 39% shooting. Antoine Walker did it again the, the following year in 0203, <laughs> averaged 20.1 points per game on even lower efficiency, 38% shooting. Uh, but it has been done by good players. Jerry Stackhouse, Jamal Mashburn, Sprewell, Kobe, Baron Davis, the most recent uh, to do this. Of course, he is a Hornet. Um, <laughs> Allen Iverson in 0304 averaged 26 a game on 38% shooting. Uh, Iverson did it again in 0102. So it's it's very possible. I think Charlotte's one of those teams that you're going to have to find like kind of things like this if you're going to watch a Hornets game for some reason to keep you engaged. Yeah, the Chicago Bulls. Um, I they kind of seem like they have their set core. Like they have Levine, Porter, Markinen, yep. Carter, Sagaransky is kind of a question mark, but they I think they signed him because they really like it. They have it at every position too, which is at kind every position, and that's what I mean, every position. So I mean, if this is it, 
then do we think, and this kind of ties into your question, do we think this team is it has enough ceiling to be like a competitive playoff team consistently? Like, is that, if Zach Levine's mm-hmm. your best player, how far can you go? What's the ceiling of Zach Levine? Well, I, I think if if this is a team going forward, you have to start looking at it through the prism of can this core win a title or get you to the Eastern Conference Finals in the next five years, right? You right. know, with with you know, if you're assuming that you're a playoff contender this year and you're a playoff team maybe in the years beyond, you're not going to add another lottery pick to this group, and maybe next year you add like the 13th pick or something like that. But like, right. if this is your core. And everything else from here on out is mid to late first rounders, free agents, you know, to kind of solidify your depth. Is this a good enough roster? I, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, this team won 22 games last year. Um, Laurie Markinen missed significant time. Again, they had Jabari Parker out there for half the year. You know, guys like Bobby Portis, uh, not, not exactly a winning player. We think we'll see less of Chris Dunn. That should help uh, more of Otto Porter. I... I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to expect. On paper, it looks great, but there just haven't right. been any results. I mean, they're, they're in a lot of ways the Phoenix of the Eastern Conference. Um, and in some ways, my question ties into, into yours. Can Zach Levine be the best player on a playoff team? We've seen him be the best player or at least the leading scorer on a 22-win team. Right. And he's you know kind of done similar things in Minnesota. Can he actually translate these numbers, much like Devin Booker for Phoenix, into wins rather than just gaudy stats? I think he can. I mean, he's other than the t- you know the years that he was dealing with the ACL, um, he showed stunning improvement every year. I'm a Zach Levine guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's pretty good. Um, but we're moving on to Cleveland. Boy, are we? Uh, <laughs> uh, do, do you want to start? It would be my my honor to start. Okay. What will become of Colin Sexton? I, I think our questions are going to be kind of intertwined here. Yeah. Yours, you can just say right away. Uh, is Cleveland trying to recreate the Lillard McCollum dynamic, and is that smart? Right, and the Lillard McCollum obviously being Sexton and Darius Garland. Colin Sexton had one of the strangest rookie seasons did, was, that I can remember. Yeah. Um, a guy who came in with almost a Patrick Beverly like reputation, you know, like that was kind of his one of his kind of lower end comps. You know, was this, this guy will get after you ninety four feet right. on defense. And then he comes in and averages 0.5 steals per game. Really isn't effective <laughs> on that end. Two weeks into the year, there are reports that you know veterans are upset with how he's playing. He's right. kind of going off script. He's not he's not running the offense. All of a sudden, you know, 82 games later, he plays in every game. He starts 72 games. He plays almost 32 minutes per game, and he ends up averaging 17 points, three assists, three rebounds, um, and shoots over 40 percent from three. Which the biggest question mark for Sexton coming out of college was, can he shoot? So. You know, he was bad in the areas that we thought he would be good, and he was good in the areas that we thought he would be bad. And all of a sudden now, it does seem like he's kind of being shoved to the side because I think as a pure prospect, even though he only played five games in college, like Darius Garland seems like the guy that they want handling the ball. Yeah, this is it's Sexton's one of the weirdest, like, like you kind of mentioned, like reverse, like from, from where his expectations were to what happened. Um, because I, the, the last time I can remember a player being so drastically different from their Skyrim report is like Andrew Wiggins, where Andrew sure. Wiggins, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, his floor is like a good defender. And now, it, you know, oh, can you score? And now it's the opposite. Well, I'm not really sure you can score now. That he is a good twenty copy. points. Colin Sexton is the Andrew Wiggins of point guards in some ways. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, Garland looks like a good looks like a good prospect. I, you know, we we saw him for like just a limited time in college. So it'll be interesting to see if he's if he's NBA ready off the bat. I mean, he's. He's really skinny. I mean, it's going to be a really thin yeah. backcourt. They're going to get bullied a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm I'm not 100 sure it's gonna work, but I it's worth a shot, right? Stop talking about the Cavaliers. I know you could go all day. <laughs> uh, the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, can Porzingis stay healthy? Um, I I mean, I I have a lot of confidence in both Doncic and Porzingis as players to you know figure out as a one A 1A or a one B or however you want to say it. These guys obviously have insane upside together, but Porzingis just he he hasn't been healthy throughout his entire career when he's been healthy he's been great um but it's they they committed max money to him and if he can't stay healthy it's 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 gonna be a huge problem especially since they're you know it's gonna be rough for them if Porzingis can only play 60 or 65 games a year especially I mean maybe not moving forward but this year because the you know the 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 pieces in Dallas aren't that good I mean you talk about like Tim Hardaway Jr. Maxi Kleba Dwight Powell these are like crucial players um, crucial role players for the Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, the Porzingis question um, is, is far and away what's going to define the season. Uh, I think beyond whether you can stay healthy, how's the fit, you know, how does he look out there when he is healthy to begin the year? It's been a long time since we've seen him, like, almost a year and a half calendar-wise since we've actually seen him in an NBA game. Uh, for me, it's does Luka Doncic have another level uh, or this could this end up being more of a Ben Simmons situation where right. he's maybe better as a rookie than we expected, but he was so good as a rookie that expectations have been raised and then it's hard to to meet or exceed those. I, I don't see him taking a step back in any way, no. but you look at his line from last year, other than the efficiency, which which is the most obvious area in which he can improve, it's really hard to to say, oh, he'll he'll jump up, you know, two assists per game, two rebounds right. per game, which for most rookies that's a progression because they're not that good right away. But if you start saying that with Doncic, all of a sudden you're projecting him to average a triple-double. I think Doncic is a guy who will just continue to play better as a better team is put around him. So I'm really optimistic for him to have Porzingis around in just another year in the NBA. I mean, towards the end of last year, that team that he was playing with was a joke. I mean, he was yeah. just he was relied upon so much. He, there was no way he was ever going to be an efficient player and score mm-hmm. you know, 20 points a game. Yep. The Denver Nuggets. I... So I'm really confident in yo I mean there's no there's no reason to wonder like is Jokic the real deal. So it's <laughs> like how is everyone else on this team going to develop? I think mainly Jamal Murray. I mean he kind of he wasn't as efficient as people thought he might be last year. Um was a really good scorer just like points per game wise. He could get hot, but it I mean whether or not he's an actual number two option, I think is, is kind of a legitimate question you have to ask. Um, and is Gary Harris going to stay healthy? Uh, is like Will Barton going to be around? Just guys like that. Yep. There are not not a ton of examples of guys, Murray's age especially, and his caliber as a player who are the second best guy on a title team. Right. You know, it's typically someone who's in his mid mid to upper 20s, someone who's on a Hall of Fame trajectory and you know, I mean, maybe at some point Murray makes that leap and he's in that conversation, but, you know, 21 year old uh, or 22 year old, I should say now kind of up and down point guards typically can't be the second <laughs> right. best player. So, I mean, in, in some ways the question is, you know, can the rest of these guys, the nuggets are so, so deep, you know, we've said over and over they're the deepest team in the league, right? Can that depth just kind of combine to, to account for the up and downness, I guess, of, of right. Murray's game? Cause I don't think that's going away anytime soon. My question for them with all this depth, you know, my, my initial one that I wrote down was, do they have too much depth? You know, like, is it going to get to the point where guys like Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, who played big minutes last year when there were injuries, do they expect that now when guys like Harris and, and Murray and Barton are healthy? Um, so my question is, do they have a trade to make at some point? Are they, 
you know, bringing back Paul Millsap at 20 million to me felt like a move that you're, you're using that money to get someone like say Bradley Beal, yeah. Kevin Love. Um, they have so many pieces that you think at some point they could consolidate and, you know, bring in obviously a, a star and they can afford to lose two to four guys from this core that we mentioned and really not miss a beat. Yeah, I agree entirely. The Detroit Pistons, uh, mine for this one, it's something, it's a relatively recent development, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's something that a lot of people are going to be wondering will waving Michael Beasley kind of awaken like a centuries long curse on the franchise? I think, I think that's really possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, there, for, for someone who was in the big three, you know right. what I mean? Like is it's Joe Johnson was by all accounts, like washed out of the league. I Beasley wasn't, I mean, he was briefly, but when he came back, um michael beasley averaged 23 and a half points per game per 36 minutes last season in 26 games for the lakers so i don't i don't know what there is to see here um but on a more serious note yours <laughs> um yeah i mean that we've heard that they want to rest blake griffin more so he can stay healthy for the playoffs but my question is can you do that and make the playoffs um if you want to rest him five to ten games a year and play him 30 minutes instead of 35 minutes is that i mean really is that the difference in the pistons mm-hmm. making the playoffs versus not making the playoffs and i think it's really close and i think they're going to try it at the beginning of the year and they might get like 25 games in and they're four or five games under 500 and they're like well we gave it a shot and then griffin's out there playing 38 minutes again on you know back to backs yep. and it's they're just in a rough spot yeah, their their margin is razor thin when it comes to one Griffin's minutes and two what you know what those minutes mean. I mean, I, th- I think you can make a case that last year if he plays five fewer games or three fewer minutes per game, they maybe don't make the playoffs. Right. Um. And and it's it's inconceivable to me that Blake Griffin plays seventy five games again this year or even seventy. I mean, prior to this year, he had not played seventy plus games since 2013-14 and we saw what happened you know he missed two games against the Bucks. he was nowhere near full strength when he was out there and that started even two weeks before the playoffs so you know they're going to be cautious they they added a little bit of depth in Markeith Morris but you know we talk about Chicago Atlanta teams like that who could crawl in Miami um you know I think Detroit's a prime candidate to fall out I agree um Golden State I I've looked at this roster a lot. I don't think you have to guard more than two players on this team. And that's kind no. of my question. Like how good like how, how good can a team be if you like really only have to guard two players? Because right. you don't really have to guard Draymond Green. You no. don't really have to guard any of the centers on this team. Um their small forward spot is like Alfonso McKinney and like Jacob Evans yeah. might still be Alec on this Burks, team. Baby. Yeah. Glenn Robinson. Like they, I, uh, they like the rookie out of Eric Pascal. Yeah, he seems like he'll be good, but like, you know what I mean? Right. Um, no, I, I think that's really fair. I mean, the the third guy who we haven't really mentioned, Draymond Green, teams were already not guarding him the last right. three years. So I don't think you're going to suddenly start doing that with Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant out of the picture. I, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody can write off Golden State <clears throat> until we see what this looks like. And, and for the most part, people haven't. I think if anything, it's kind of gone the other way and people are giving them the benefit of the doubt, which they've earned. But like you said, the more you look at the roster, it's just really, really hard to make that case. You right. know that if and we've said over and over on this pod, if Curry goes down for ten games, then what? You know, one of right. those guys that you have to guard is gone, and you just send five guys at D'Angelo Russell. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, I don't think Draymond Green's going to zap back to being a thirty-nine percent three-point shooter like he was during the seventy-three win year. It's 
yeah, it's it's tough to make a case for this team being elite. You know, maybe they can hang around if Curry stays healthy, but I I, I don't think they're in that upper tier. My question, uh, kind of relating to that, how do the Warriors weigh quote going for it? You know, and kind of being in contention when Clay comes back versus managing Curry's workload, uh, and then do they cash in on that on that Russell asset at some point? I think they want to make the playoffs, um, and so I think if they're close, they'll go for it. If they're you know if it if it's really like doubtful. If it seems like it's it's going to be right, like right down to the wire, you know, maybe if they're like five games under at the All Star break, it's it's going to be rough. I mean, maybe they just kind of try to pack it in. Yeah, um, I think they'd have to be really really down in the standings, right? Yeah. I think if they they probably believe and rightfully so, if Clay comes back, they could be the eight seed and they feel good about their core. Right? Do you think they'll try to trade D'Angelo Russell? Uh, in that scenario that you laid out, it like if they pull the plug in, you know, two weeks before the deadline, I think they'll stiff around. Okay. Houston Rockets, can Houston get anything meaningful out of Daniel House, Eric Gordon, Ben McLemore, Austin Rivers, you know, PJ Tucker maybe can be thrown into that as he gets older. Um, I know the Westbrook Harden dynamic is by far the biggest question facing this team, and that's ultimately going to decide how the season goes. But I I think one of the more underrated storylines over the last few years of really the entire Harden era in Houston has been they've gone so all in on their top two or three guys that it's just been bargain bin the rest of the roster and it's been really really hit or miss they've had some hits they've had probably more misses than hits um you know losing trevor ariza before last season you know obviously was a big blow especially the way they started the year so um can they just get someone you know anyone to kind of step up you know what they could really use is somebody you know like daniel house all of a sudden becoming robert covington which yeah you know, it's a ton to ask but robert covington had no pedigree coming no. out of college you know so um they really need to kind of strike gold on on somebody like that yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm, I feel pretty confident about Eric Gordon, but the rest of it, right. yeah, it's pretty shaky. And I think their best chance is, I mean, they're, they're going to be probably really active in the buyout market um, and just trying to find someone who's a reliable three-point shooter who gets, you know, let go. Like, maybe they'll try to get Bertans from the Wizards or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, beyond that, I mean, the yeah, the, the Westbrook-Harden dynamics, the big question, I... The more I think about it, I'm actually weirdly optimistic about it. Um, you know, the, I'm not sure how the three, you know, if, if how if Westbrook is off ball, I'm not sure how much that will work. Um, I actually I feel confident Harden being off ball because he's a great three point shooter. But I, I think when you have two players who are so dominant in the pick and roll and you can just constantly run pick and rolls with Capella with the floor spaced out for the most part, that that has the potential to be just devastating on some games. Yeah, I, I think Capella is going to be in for a good year. I think I like the Tyson Chandler signing. You know, I know yeah. he's old, but just just for the depth, they got an A back this past week. That'll be fun. Um, I think they're going to be good. I know a lot of people are skeptical, but I, I think they'll make this work, and they have a, a fairly high floor just just because of Harden and Russ. Right. The Indiana Pacers. Uh, I'll let you lead this one off. Yeah. So Oladipo's health is obviously like a, a big question mark. Is he going to come back? Is he going to be seventy five percent of what he was as a player? Uh, how much they're going to arrest him, stuff like that. But I, I'm just worried about the amount of playmakers on this team, especially when Oladipo's not out there. You know, Brogdon's good. You know, we're Bucks fans. We we understand how good Brogdon is, but I'm not 100% convinced he's a real point guard. I think he has that in him, but I, he's not like a dynamic playmaker. Their other options are like Jeremy Lamb, who showed some upside in in Charlotte, but not really a playmaker. No, TJ Warren doesn't pass the basketball ever. Um, you know, Sabonis is unselfish, but how, I mean, can you really get by running like a Sabonis high post offense all year? 
So I think yep. I, they have some. They're gonna. They might have some trouble some nights generating offense. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, you know, you you also noted Oladipo's health. You know, what is he going to look like when he comes back? I think is yeah. a huge question. This is, I mean, he's not even returning to like five on five work yet, and the season is basically two months away yeah. or a month away. Um, so I, I mean, it might be January, February till he starts looking like himself. And the other thing is, he really wasn't that great last year. You know, he was so so good two years ago, led the league in steals, was just a monster. And even before the injury last year, really didn't look like himself. So that that's a major question mark. Um, but yeah, for me, it was kind of what you mentioned the the Turner Sabonis front court, which seems a little forced now because they they really didn't have a choice. They brought in two guys in Warren and Lamb. Um, you know, Warren could maybe slide up and play a little small ball four, but not really. Um, and Sabonis, you know, can't doesn't really shoot the ball. He he shoots a good percentage on an extremely low volume from three. Can he expand that? Turner's kind of plateaued these last couple of years. Um, yeah, they're a team that if, if they do get off to a rough start, if Brogdon can't quite play make to the degree that that they're going to need him to, um, you know, they could kind of find themselves in a hole until Oladipo's back. The Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, they're. I didn't really. I I didn't have too many like questions about the Clippers. I think they're extremely set as a team, um, but their center depth is just not good at all. I mean. Montrez Harrell's great offensively. Zubach is obviously like had great points last season, but I don't think either of these guys, you know, Zubach or Harrell can guard, uh, you know, the league's like best centers. Not that that necessarily matters that much in the playoffs. I don't, you know, like I don't think they're going to be able to guard Anthony Davis, but that's, I mean, other than that, how many elite centers are in the West that they're going to have to deal mm-hmm. with? I mean, Jokic is probably going to be rough on them. Dwight but- Howard. <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh well i mean even someone like valanchunas you know i guess maybe he yeah. matches up fairly well with zubach specifically um i i mean i i do think the combination of zubach and harrell is is nice to have because at least with harrell he's he's probably only six seven you know he's right. not he's not the guy that you're going to throw on valanchunas or Jokic, but he can go chase you know your lamarcus aldridge type of guys you know on the perimeter um but yeah davis is going to present i mean he's anthony davis he presents matchup issues for everybody but um if the lakers do go with this big lineup that we think they will um you know if it's lebron at point guard danny green kyle kuzma anthony davis dwight howard javel mcgee that's presents some issues of its own for the lakers but for other teams like the clippers um you know that could give them some trouble my question real quick how does Kawhi leonard handle playing alongside another star he's he's never played with anyone the caliber of paul george you know you could say kyle lowry's a star um you could say i mean he did play with tim duncan i guess in, in san antonio but He's never had someone who you would really classify as his peer, and I think Paul George is pretty much there. Yeah. Um, you know, Kawhi is the better player of the two, but it's fairly close, especially if PG plays like last season. So, how does he handle splitting that? He's no longer for sure the man every single possession like he was last year. Right. Um, it just kind of struck me that we hadn't seen that before, um, which which is a little bit unique, you know, considering how long he's been in the league and how clustered stars tend to be now. I'm optimistic about it mostly because he sought out Paul George. Like it right. seems like something that he wanted. Yeah. No, I I think he'll for sure be be open to it, but it's easier said than done. You know, who gets the ball when it's a tie game with three seconds left? The LA Lakers. Yeah, I think uh, another team I weirdly feel good about, but maybe not weirdly, their second favorite to win the title. I just think they might not have enough like dynamic guards on the team. Like, I think this is a it's a it's a league like dynamic guards matter because I you know, LeBron is not really a point guard um rondo um it's not definitely a point guard. <laughs> rondo is definitely a point guard um but they don't really have i i feel like a 
a scoring point guard that I like feel good about. And I, I don't know how crucial that is, but I think it's a legitimate question to, to ask. For sure. I think we're going to see point LeBron almost full time. You know, I mean, he'll, he has this undying respect for Rondo that, you know, he has been more than willing to kind of move aside for Rondo to be the point guard. I don't think he'll have that same degree of patience with guys like Quinn Cook, Alex Caruso. Um, and that's really it. There's, there's no other guards who you can really picture handling the ball. You know, Avery Bradley, KCP, guys like that are, are not playmakers. My question for the Lakers, does LeBron genuinely believe in this roster? Because that's really what matters, I think. If he last year, he clearly from day one did not believe, and no. it was reflected in his effort in his play. Um, and we've seen in the past, if he believes and he buys in, he's solely capable of dragging a team all the way to the finals. Maybe not win the finals, but he can get you there. Um, so if LeBron James is engaged and bought in, I'm not really worried about his health. That was a one year thing, and all of a sudden now we, we seem to be talking about him like he's Blake Griffin. Um, he slipped on a floor, a wet spot on Christmas Day, and sat out after you know you sat out a month and then sat out for rest purposes he's not injury prone um if he believes in this team if he buys in with anthony davis i think they'll be really good if they get off to a rough start he starts doing pouty lebron stuff i think this could go south really quickly um and then my other question we don't have to answer this because i don't think we'll have time but you know kind of piggybacking off your point with their lack of guard depth will they regret holding out for Kawhi leonard and then of course not getting Kawhi leonard and letting all these other free agents sign in the meantime the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> Another tough one. I uh, I think they're, one of their main questions is what position does Jaron Jackson Jr. actually play? They have Valanciunas right now. They signed Valanciunas, which makes me think that they think that Jaron Jackson Jr. is a power forward, or at least that they really want to try him there. I'm not sure you want to put a guy who's such a good such a good shot blocker away from the rim. This is like the Anthony Davis discussion. Should he be that far away from the rim? Um, some other guys in the league. Uh, fall under that the same category and also kind of like is jaron jackson jr a number two option ever is he ever going to be that guy doesn't matter if he's so good on defense um like i i I think he's a great prospect i don't really have that many questions about him but um he i guess i guess that's my thoughts who's your who's your comparison for him now is is, he doesn't rebound very well but he blocks shots he can shoot the three i wouldn't say he has a handle but he he can dribble like you know he kind of reminds me of a siakam Oh yeah, Siakam's maybe like a, a little defender. little better motor. You know, Siakam's probably a more well-rounded player, like a um, like a like a big man version of Siakam. Yeah, I mean they're pretty close in size, aren't they? I mean, yeah, I think positionally they're yeah you know different. Sure, um, but yeah, he's a unique player. So my question is, is John Morant the player that we think he is? Yeah. Not not a groundbreaking question by any means, um, but if the answer is yes, Memphis is in an incredibly good spot. They're going to be bad. They'll let Morant and Jackson just ball out for 82 games probably win 25 of those and then you know they still have a major need on the wing they have no good wings at all it's kyle anderson crowder josh jackson if you really want to talk yourself into him you know needing a change of scenery memphis probably not the spot for that um you know can they have a a productive season around morant and jaron jackson from a development standpoint and then line themselves up to get um you know anthony edwards out of georgia or you know whoever the top prospect ends up being um i think you know that they're they're in the atlanta spot from last year you know as long as your young guys look good you really can't lose right the miami heat yeah so is jimmy butler as good as he thinks he is um i think that's a the question we need to ask kind of when he forced himself out of minnesota to play on a winning team and then he gets on the winning team and he's like 
no, nah, I'm good. I'm the man. I need to play for Miami, be the number one guy. Um, he can't stay healthy. Uh, he's got a lot of Tom Thibodeau minutes on him. I am just, if I don't know how it's going to work. I, I think there's a lot of question marks. I, people seem to be generally all in on this. Yeah, I, I do agree for the most part that he's a great fit in Miami. He seems like he's a heat culture, guy, culture guy, everything yeah. we know about them. You know, it's all about hard work. It's about getting in great shape. Butler seems to be all in on that. Um, but he's also never proven to be the type of guy who can really carry you into contention by himself. And the heat have some nice ancillary pieces. I love Adebayo. I still love justice Winslow, Goran Dragic. But beyond that, this is, you know, this is a team that is really not ready to compete for anything above like the seven or eight. And I just, what is the ultimate ceiling? You know, even if everything goes really well and Butler looks like the player he was in Chicago three or four years ago, you know, second round of the playoffs, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what is even deemed a success for this team. And uh, I think it could go really badly if Jimmy <laughs> Butler, you know, kind of overextends himself and, and plays beyond his means, which he hasn't done in the past. Right. Um, you know, I, I thought he'd, for the most part did an okay job of fitting in in philly yeah um after the bizarre minnesota thing you know he really did calm down but um we haven't seen him in this role in a while so i, I think that's fair mine uh can bam out of bio be more than just a really good you know kind of energy center like can he be a legitimately you know a guy who passes a guy who blocks shots a guy who eventually can maybe shoot some threes who still right. shoots close to 60 percent from the field um you know he's thus far he's kind of been able to flourish as just go out there and be high energy like can he actually harness that and become a really well-rounded center yeah because if not then they're going to need a second guy like Mm -hmm. for sure right and the last thing for me too is will tyler harrow get arrested at a g-easy concert for the end of the season (laughs) safe end yeah (laughs) the buzzer sounded (laughs) saved by the um the milwaukee bucks yeah i do they I'm worried that they don't have the top-end talent to get past the 76ers. Uh, the addition of Horford to the front court with Embiid concerns me a lot f- as far as like someone who wants to see Giannis and the Bucks succeed. It's going to be a really tough ask in the playoffs to have Giannis. He's just be running against brick wall all mm-hmm. game. And uh, the Bucks kind of, I mean, the the loss of Brogdon matters, uh, especially when you're comparing like other, you know, the, the elite team, I guess the the only other team we consider elite in the East as of right now. 76ers who have one of the best yep. lineups in the league yeah i think that's completely fair i think if you line up those two rosters and you just have a draft Giannis is obviously number one yeah does philly have the next three guys you would want like Embiid, simmons tobias yeah it's debatable I would, and it's even debatable. horford you know if you're talking just value like if you're ha- if you're playing a you're seven game series maybe not over the course of 82 games you know with horford at what 34 now yeah um you know i, I think you'd rather have middleton but Harris versus Middleton is at least it's very close. much debatable, you yeah. know, and there's a case we made that Horford versus Middleton in a seven game series is debatable. And Bledsoe's um, back in the playoffs. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even considering Bledsoe. I mean, right. I, Bledsoe versus Josh Richardson in terms of overall value in a playoff series <laughs> is extremely debatable. Um, so I guess, you know, my version of that question is, is Giannis alone so much better than Embiid or whoever the Sixers best player is that it, that it closes that talent gap? Because I agree with you that the Sixers, are the more well-rounded roster right now, or at least the more well-rounded like top six or seven. Right. The Bucks have the depth, but at what point, you know, does Pat Connaughton's 21 minutes a night, does that really matter? Yeah. Um, yeah, mine, mine is kind of the same thing for the Bucks. I mean, how do Middleton and especially Bledsoe respond to real expectations now? You know, being the incumbent one seed last year, you have to follow that up, you would think. Um, 
Middleton looked terrible for Team USA. That was not encouraging. Yeah. Um, you know, Bledsoe, of course, had a, a second straight flame out in the playoffs. It's it's going to be interesting. You know, if, if things are really going to heat up, if if Milwaukee gets knocked out, especially before the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, the Minnesota Timberwolves. How much do you think Wiggins would demand in a buyout? So this would basically be the Josh Smith Piston situation, right? Yeah. I mean, more on a more grandiose <laughs> scale in terms of money, but to the point where everyone is like, I can't believe they actually did this. They really couldn't stand him. It was worth it to stretch. Like Josh Smith is still making five plus million dollars this year for the Detroit right. Pistons. That essentially what you'd be doing is either buying out Wiggins or stretching his money which are equally terrible options right um he has a he has 121 million left guaranteed (laughs) do you think he would take i mean do you think he would take half do you think he would take 60 million to just not play just to leave i don't i don't think so i mean are there i know people have questions his work ethic but i don't think he's one of those guys that doesn't want to play basketball i don't think this is like a i don't think this is an andrew bynum level situation no, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I think the way <laughs> this is basically just my way of saying like I the the, the wolves are screwed if they can't yeah. find a way to get rid of him if he doesn't get better. And there's he's been he's actively been getting worse every yeah. single year he's in the league. Like and it's not it's not one of those situations where it's like well he's getting better in this way and he's getting worse. no he's he's only twenty four worse he's only twenty four. Um, my question kind of wraps into that as well. How long can Minnesota hang around the playoff picture because? on paper i don't hate this starting lineup that much you know last year there were injuries and trades and whatnot so we never got to really see it but like a healthy towns covington culver slash layman slash a at small forward and then wiggins teague isn't the worst i mean it's not a great team but if jeff teague was pretty good when healthy last year we never really got to see covington with this with this team fully healthy um it wouldn't be shocking to me if they're like hanging around the seven or eight for the first couple months but at what point do they consider selling everything but carl towns um the other guy i think you maybe want to hold on to is covington just because he's yeah. so cheap and he has a couple more years but if you need to get off someone like wiggins maybe you have to attach a player like covington they're shockingly reliant on covington yeah that's what he's a good player about. i love covington the new orleans pelicans yeah i'm just wondering if zion and ingram can coexist as players i think they're both different enough like one, I, one's got to go one, <laughs> who's it gonna be <laughs> um they're both different enough like i think ingram's more of a ball handler um he's, he's definitely sleepier he's more he's more of a of like a like backcourt player i i don't really know zion's kind of a big but if neither of them can develop real three-point shots then it's going to be hard to play them together consistently yep. if if they view those two as part of a, the real core moving forward yes um my question is what does a healthy lonzo ball look like outside of the lakers slash los angeles as a whole bubble you know right. big baller brand seems to have just it's like not a thing anymore no i get lavar ball is kind up. of right lavar ball is kind of faded away he's no longer wearing shoes that are destroying his ankles um you know i mean i loved his game in college and so right. many people did like he was just such a fun player to watch and you still saw flashes of that these last couple of years and it seemed like every time he would have a nice five or six game run he would get hurt. And I, I just really hope we get, you know, 70 plus games of Lonzo in a system where every single play is not being hyper analyzed like it was in LA. Um, but like you said, I, I think everyone loves this New Orleans team and they're they're kind of this dark horse eight seed in the West. 
I, I don't know where the shooting is going to come from because I don't think Zion's going to be a good three-point shooter at all. Derek Favors doesn't shoot threes. Brandon Ingram has been very iffy from three. Barely has been able to work out this summer because of that um, vein blood clot issue. Uh, and Lonzo Ball himself is also not, a, you know, extremely shaky three point shooter. Right. So if your starting lineup is Ball, Holiday, Ingram, Zion, and Favors, really only one of those guys in Holiday who also did not shoot all that well underratedly yeah. from three last year, only one of those guys is is even a fairly reliable three point shooter. So th- there are certainly questions there, and there's a reason they signed JJ Redick and Nicolo Melli that yeah. um, the Italian uh, forward will help in that regard. But a lot of these guys that they're trying to develop, you know, even Alexander Walker is not a great three point shooter. Um, they could run into some issues there. Yeah. The New York Knickerbockers. I think this is Julius Randle's team. Um, I'm sure he believes that. I, I think he believes it, and I think it might come to fruition because I don't have that much faith in Dennis Smith Jr. or Alfred Payton um, or R.J. Barrett or really anyone else in this roster to kind of take over on any given night. Taj Gibson? Taj Gibson. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> is this Taj Gibson's team? The thing is, like it's I, this team this team is a mess if you need one guy to get you a shot on this team would you pick julius randall i mean maybe you would take rj barrett i wouldn't I mean, take kevin what Knox. Are we, to get me a contested 18 footer i would pick julius randall i mean you got 20 seconds left on the shot clock to win the game oh that's julius randall's not passing that ball are you kidding me right <laughs> yeah it's not there's not going to be a choice it's just going to be him i, I think that answers my yeah. question it's julius randall's team my question for the knicks uh, based on their offseason what's the priority here is it winning or is it developing guys like rj barrett dennis smith Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, because the roster says it should be a development year, but the moves this summer imply that they're going to try to win games. And we, we, there's one, one or two teams every year that that stock up on veterans and try to win. It's been the Suns the last couple of years. The Kings have been victims of this for many years. Now it's the Knicks. It very rarely works out when you sign a bunch of average free agents. Like those guys just don't come together and collectively get you no. to the playoffs. This isn't the Spurs. Um, so I, I guess I, I hope at some point, guys like Taj Gibson and you know Bobby Portis and Alfred Payton are not taking minutes from the guys that they should really be trying to develop for the future. Yeah, I agree. Um, are we under time on the Knicks? I messed up the timer, oh, okay. so we're good. Whew. All right, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I just want to know, like, I mean, this kind of ties into your question about like the players they can shop on this team. I mean, they have CP3. I mean, they already have so many assets. OKC probably has the most assets. What? I'll try to I'll try to look it up as you talk. Sure. OKC and and New Orleans are two of the most asset rich teams in the league and like ever, uh, ever. And OKC can even get more considering they have Chris Paul, Adams and Gallinari. And I just want to know what the asking price is for these guys. What are teams willing to give up? Um, I think a, I mean any team looking to make the playoffs could benefit from any any of these players. Um, you know, Adams isn't amazing, but centers always get hurt. You know, if if a team's I, I can't think of a great example. Like if, you know, Vucevic gets hurt or something like that and they just want to throw in Steven mm-hmm. Adams and be like, let's let's try to make this work. Um, it's probably a bad example, but you get what I'm trying to say. They have so many assets that you almost wonder like if, if at some point they'll consolidate them. I'm not going to read them all off because of the time constraints, but they have, you know, first round picks coming in up the wazoo from 2020 on, including the one that they got from Denver in the Jeremy Grant deal. You know, that was the least <laughs> right. publicized of all these. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's fair to ask about guys like Adams, Gallinari, how aggressively do they shop Chris Paul? Um, in in some ways, it's almost looking looking four or five years into the future. It's like an arms race between them and New Orleans because yeah. those two teams right now, if if Carl Towns demands out of Minnesota, and I know for contract reasons that's unlikely, those are the teams that can just throw these picks 
out there yep. to get a player like that. They can trump any other team that might be willing to offer a nice young guy. You know, like we talked about Denver, like they have they have some fun young players to offer, but you're going to take four first round picks from OKC over Monte Morris, Gary Harris, and Will Barton every time. So maybe this isn't the year that OKC does it, but you know, at what point do do they try to? You know, because you don't want you don't necessarily want to make all these picks. You know, you don't want to have no, four yeah. first round picks coming onto your team every year. At what point did they maybe think about cashing these in? I, I think that's probably a 2020, 2021 question. Right. All right. Perfect. The Orlando Magic. Uh, I. <laughs> when will Aaron Gordon get traded, or will he get traded? Because I, they structure his contract that so that it's declining, which basically means they view him as a trade asset potentially. Uh, and I, I don't know what the asking price for him would, would be. I don't know if they would, if he got better, if they would try to keep him or if they would try to flip him while he's playing well, I don't really understand what the direction of this team is. Um, do you, I mean, do you even, what, do you even have a question for this team? No, uh, I just wrote pass. Don't care. Okay. All right. We can make up on some time then. My question for the Philadelphia 76ers, can Joel Embiid hold up over, counting playoffs 100-ish games you know they were not expecting him to play 82 or even 70 in the regular season but even with Philadelphia managing his load you know he missed I think what 18 maybe more regular season games last year he still broke down in the playoffs and even when he was out there was out of shape he was at 70 to 80 percent of his normal self I think for Philadelphia to reach their ceiling which is very conceivably the NBA finals and possibly winning the NBA finals he needs to be at his absolute best in the Eastern conference finals and in the NBA finals. And, and last year had Philly gotten that far, I think they would have ran into either even further problems with the South. Right. And I think, I mean, considering, you know, I mean the, the bucks and the 76ers have a huge advantage in, in terms of the amount that they can rest their players because they're so far ahead in terms of the standings, at least to project them to be that, you know, you probably only need Joel Embiid to play 55 games to you know win 55 you know 50 to 55 games so yeah we we don't i I guess i don't think he needs to play 100 games i'm not that worried it's more closer to like 80 but yeah i mean they considering their ceiling is title team i mean they're one of my favorites to you know win the title especially if you look at like the odds um then he has to he has to stay healthy um and kind of related to that but my question is how much does the depth on this team matter considering their starting five is the best in the league, arguably? Um, like the the fact that, you know, your your backup situation is like Trey Burke, Zyre Smith, Mike Scott. Yep. Does that matter at all? When you can you can have three of these five guys on the court almost at all times. Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. We're gonna find out. I mean, this is kind of the second straight year that they've stacked it where their top five or six are really good and you just kind of figure everything else out on the fly and I think for the most part, it worked last year. And they're another team, you know, like Houston, that'll be perusing the buyout market and, and things like that to try to add a piece. The Phoenix Suns. Uh, <laughs> did the Suns finally find a competent supporting cast? Uh, you're shaking your head. I'm no. answer that right now. No, they didn't. Um, they, <laughs> I, they signed a lot of guys that I like. So I lean more towards, yes, like I'm a Saric and Rubio supporter. Um, which is a weird, I guess, camp to be on. Um, it, I mean, it's better what they did last year, but there's still concerns to be had. I mean, well, if, yeah. <laughs> if, 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 you know, can, I mean, I guess another question is, you know, can Aiden be more of a yep. defensive presence? Is he only going to be an offensive player? Stuff like that. But I think 
a, the main question is always just going to be about Devin Booker. Yeah, I mean, it, Aiden is was a tough guy to judge last year. I mean, I was mostly impressed by what I saw. Sure. Um, but, you know, there's still some debate as to how effective he is versus what his numbers are. I think this Rubio thing is going to be a disaster. I, I do think bringing in Monty Williams helps. Had they had they held on to Kokoskov, which I think was kind of a sinking ship midway through last year, I think this would have gone even worse. I, I do trust Monty Williams to at least kind of get these guys on the same page. But, I mean, as, as I've, I've written this exact sentence, I did not watch the Suns last year and think, man, this team, if they had Ricky Rubio, man, <laughs> another, another guy who can't shoot out there. Like, no, I, I just don't see... Ricky Rubio being the difference. I mean, Dario Saric was terrible in Minnesota last year. That was a bad fit, I know. Um, but they, I mean, this is a team that struggles defensively. We know that. And Saric isn't going to help. No. Rubio's at this point in his career, I, I really don't think it's going to help that much. I like the Ubre signing. Uh, but all of a sudden now, McCall Bridges is kind of the odd man out. I, I don't love I don't love that. I thought he was pretty good last year. Um, it, just, it just feels to me like another year where we look at the depth chart and say, I, okay, I kind of like what they have here. And then you glance at the standings in mid-March and they have like 16 wins. Right. Okay. Are we, I had a schedule on the Suns too. 10 seconds, wow. yeah. All right. The Portland Trailblazers. I'll, I'll start this one out. Can right. Hassan Whiteside stay even remotely engaged and focused? Uh, I would like to think he can. Uh, I mean, this is a contract year. And if he wants to continue playing NBA basketball at, and be a starter, then he, he has to be focused. Fund those massive fish tanks that he has in his house. Right. Um, I they need to rely on him so much that they almost have no choice but for him to stay focused, uh, which is kind of a bad. That's, that's a bad problem. Spot to be have. in, yeah. It's I've said this many times. I think the Blazers are in a bad spot, but I think I don't know what was going on in Miami. Like I I don't know if it's a Miami thing, which is weird because he broke out in Miami. Right. I really I really just don't know what to think. I mean, do you do you think it's possible? Is it likely? Is it uh, unlikely? It's, it's definitely possible. I mean, he's one of those guys that. Like the numbers are always great. Even last year when it seemed Amazing like he was yeah. he was not happy whatsoever. He's playing, you know, his minutes are dwindling and he still averaged eleven and a half rebounds, almost two blocks, twelve points. You know, like he his, the numbers are always gonna be there. I think for him it's just a question of, you know, much like Aiton in some ways, you know, can the numbers actually translate to effectiveness? And they really only need to limp him, you know, through like hopefully January, February, and maybe at that point Nurkic is ready and you know, you can kind of push white side aside but like you said i mean they're going all in like if white side doesn't work out you know then you have zach collins but then power forward becomes a huge issue so right. yeah it's it's kind of a high risk high reward uh type of season for portland yeah i mean my my main question is is zach collins good uh they're putting a lot of faith in him also a lot of faith in anthony simons maybe this question should have been is anthony simons good um but zach collins is it seems like he's gonna start at power forward he's probably gonna play the backup center minutes unless Pau Gasol magically, you know, becomes a playable player again. Uh, And, you know, if Zach Collins isn't what Portland thinks he is or what a lot of people think he is, then it's you're you're in another rough spot. Uh, If he can't stay out of foul trouble, if he can't be a 36 percent three point shooter, if he just all of that. Yeah. At that point, then it's the Anthony Tolliver show and the Blazers are probably not a true um you know, contender for anything more than the first round. Right. The Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Um, is Bagley as good as he seemed towards the end of last season? I think I was, I, a lot of people were not high on Bagley, uh, coming into last year. Um, I was, I was one of those people we had him, you know, ranked pretty low in fantasy. He was getting taken like a hundred plus in fantasy drafts, but 
he he he's really impressive um if he can improve at all as a three-point shooter then i mean you're looking at a really great player because he's 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 super athletic and block shots um is good around the basket he's very left-handed but so is julius randall and he's been doing fine uh and you know adding actually like the addition of of Dwayne Dedman, even though it kind of confuses their roster because he's a floor spacing center and it puts less pressure on Bagley to become an elite three point shooter and kind of allows him to do more of what he he naturally is as a player. Um, but if he if he is that good, then Sacramento can really, I think, take a step forward. Yeah, my question is, can Luke Walton find a rotation that pleases everyone and maximizes this strange depth that they now have after adding Corey Joseph, adding Trevor Ariza, bringing back Harrison Barnes, um, bringing back Bielitsa, who was kind of just weirdly taking minutes from Bagley last year. They also had Dwayne Dedman. They had Rashawn Holmes. It, it, none of these really make a lot of sense. Like I like these guys individually, but Sacramento already had pretty decent depth at, at most spots last year. And like I actually like Dwayne Dedman quite a bit, but what about Harry Giles? What about playing Bagley at center? You know, now like Holmes is the third guy all of a sudden, and he's been really productive in, in limited minutes in his career. Trevor Ariza is not a guy you bring in to play 15 minutes off the bench. I mean, he's played basically 30 minutes every single year in his career. He, he started every game he's played since, I think, 2013 or 2014. So how does that shake out? Um, yeah, I mean, they're a team that I like a lot. I like their starting pieces. Fox Heald uh, and Bagley is a nice young core. But I, I have significant question marks about who they've chosen to surround those guys with, at least for this coming season. I think what we're trying to say is the Kings are the second deepest team in the league. They very well might be. I mean, they, they really do go deep. I mean, Corey Joseph kind of sucks, so maybe not. But it's just like I want to see more Bogdanovich, and they just keep like putting guys in front of him. I want to see more Bagley, more Giles, and they keep bringing in guys to, to steal minutes. Are we, are we under on the Kings team? Uh, I oh, keep okay. messing up the timer. Right. Three buttons, really confusing. Okay. I need that soothing beeping sound every two minutes. Right. All right, four more to go. The San Antonio Spurs. Um, I the How will DeJounte Murray and Derek White mesh, I think, is a, is a, is a question. I you can probably play White at shooting guard, but Murray's not really a traditional point guard. He's more of like a rebound defender, almost like a Patrick Beverly without the three-point shot. Which, I mean, that theoretically doesn't translate into a good player. Um, but he, you know, he was productive when he became a starter two years ago. Uh, it, you know, if that works out, I think they're in a good spot. If it doesn't, they they probably still win forty-five games. Uh, but I think, yeah. you know, if you're thinking about their young core, at least their future as a team, you know, aside from like the DeRozan Aldridge experience, then that those two in the backcourt together, that's, that's a question you have to ask. Yeah, I think that's really fair. Uh, I'm, I'm, as I've made clear on this podcast, I'm all in on the Spurs this year. I think they're going to be really good. I, I think they'll find a way to, to kind of get those two guards plus DeRozan to mesh. But my question is, will they find enough three point shooting <clears throat> to stay afloat they were last in the league in three-point attempts last year and it turned out okay i mean given the the talent discrepancy especially at the top between them and the other teams that they were on par with in the west you know that things went pretty well but i mean at some point you can't be attempting like half the number of threes that some <laughs> of the better teams in the league are i mean they were at like 24 attempts a game last year and like you said Dejounte murray is not going to help that too no, much no. um you look at that starting lineup projected right now murray white rosen aldridge Pirtle. white's the only guy who really shoots threes and you know murray is far and away the second best three-point shooter in that lineup that's a big problem you don't have other than patty mills and i guess bryn forbes you don't have 
these high, you know, high three point volume guys coming off the bench. Jamari Carroll's, you know, not really going to help you yeah, a ton there. Rudy Gay, sort of. Yeah, like Lonnie Walker. Maybe they hope to get something out of, but he's a big time question mark. Still have Bellinelli. Uh, it's kind of that usual cast of guards that right. feels like they've just always been on the Spurs. Um, but yeah, I mean, for them, it all comes back to Murray at the end of the day. You know, if if he is the player that they thought he was going to be coming into last year, this is a team that could approach fifty wins. I know their their Vegas total uh actually jumped up uh, a full win over the last couple of weeks so, really? so people are in on the spurs the toronto raptors i mean is it i mean can we see pascal siakam take another leap forward i think mean, he was at the the leap he took was crazy i mean before the start of last season the big question was like who's going to win the spot og anganobi or pascal siakam and now we get most improved player pascal siakam who was one of the most efficient players in the league um like a legitimate number two option was great in the nba finals um just can he take another step forward because if he can he's an all-star i don't think that's there's a question about that um and just really how far can this team go if he if he does that yeah it all it all lies with siakam um you know i wrote something for the site a couple weeks ago comparing the raptors to the mavericks in 2011 12 i guess so the year after the title right um you know how it just seemed like everybody knew that was kind of a one and done and they could have brought everybody back and tried to make it make it another run but um the one thing that the raptors have that that mavs team didn't is a kind of a a rising star in siakam there was nobody on that mavs team that you kind of thought was the heir apparent to to dirk whiskey at the time right um so if pascal siakam didn't exist or two years ago version of pascal siakam was on this team i think they would have already blown it up you know i think they would have just kind of torn everything down the summer but you, you kind of almost have to wait and see with Siakam. Like, what right. if he does go to that next level? And, you know, he's not Kawhi Leonard, but he's good enough to, to keep this team in the top five or six in the East. That's a possibility. Um, my question was, what is the end game for this season? So, you know, they're one of those teams that if Siakam plateaus or maybe he gets significantly less efficient with more of a workload. Um, I just, you look at their starting lineup right now. We have them projected for Lowry, Norman Powell, OG Ananobi, Siakam, and Marc Gasol. You know, two of those guys are like 34 years old. Norman Powell was not good except for like a series and a half last year. Right. And Anobi missed. It felt like forever was he was out. And beyond that, it's McCaw, Johnson, Van Vliet, Matt Thomas. You know, like there's a, a way in which the season goes south pretty quickly. And if that happens, is there kind of a fire sale for guys like Gasol, Ibaka, Lowry? Right. The Utah Jazz. Uh, can <laughs> we kind of address this at the top of the show? Can Donovan Mitchell become a superstar? Um, not after today, you can. <laughs> you know, before that game, I thought he was going to be. But, uh, I mean, he, you know, he, I don't want to say he had a sophomore slump last season. The expectations are maybe too inflated, uh, especially, you know, in the in the fantasy realm. And it just, you still need to put it into context that, like, his rookie season was, on paper, probably better than Dwayne Wade's. Um, so, you know, if there's a guy who should be a su- superstar, it should be Mitchell. And he's in a position now where this team is cohesive. It makes sense. There's floor spacers. There's Gobert. There's Conley. There's less pressure. So I this team's in a really good position. But at the same time, I think he, the, the main question is, like, can Donovan Mitchell take that leap and be that guy? Yeah, I think another way to phrase that is, can he be the player that he was after the All-Star break? I mean, a, a big part of the reason that he had somewhat of a disappointing year was before the all-star break he was just not good he was really inefficient he was still averaging 22 points a game but he wasn't he just wasn't shooting well he was under 42 percent final 24 games of the season 26.7 points 4.5 rebounds 4.6 assists 
46% from the field, 45% from three, 83% from the line. True shooting was up uh, over seven percentage points on almost the exact same usage. So if you can play like that, which seems doable, I mean, those are not absurd numbers by any means. I mean, 35 or 45 from three is probably a little much, um, but 46 from the field. I mean, for that's a star, fine. superstar player, that's that's where you should be. Um, if you can play like that, and you know, that's when the Jazz went on that run to to inevitable or end up being a, a 50 win team if you can do that over the course of 75 games instead of 24 games i i think the jazz are going to be right there with denver and you know maybe houston maybe the clippers for that one seed um but then you know it's how will mike conley impact that i'm of the opinion that it should be a pretty good fit i think you are as well um but my question with them we don't have to answer this was just can the bench be good enough you know they're kind of one of those teams that's all in on their top five or six and it gets a little a little ugly beyond that. Yeah. All right. Let's finish out with ugh, the Washington Wizards. <laughs> uh, my my question for the Wizards: Will they do the right thing with Bradley Beal? The right thing being probably trade Bradley yes. Beal, barring unforeseen circumstances between now and the trade deadline. I, I think they're going to be under enough pressure that they probably will. And you know, it's. It, I think they're made out to be these like buffoons running these bad organizations, but they're clearly aware of the circumstances. I don't know that we'll ever get to the point where Beal straight up says, trade me. Um, but there's just almost no scenario in which this is a good team. And you would imagine Brad Beal would politely ask out at some point. Uh, they don't have to do that until next year, of course, given his contract. But uh, th- that's going to be hanging over this team, I think, the entire year from day one. Yeah, there's no indications that the relationship between Beal and the Wizards has like soured or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Which is pretty impressive, honestly. It it really is. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's you know, considering the free agent class for next year is pretty thin, I think there will be a lot of teams like trying to add Bradley Beal. So I think the Wizards are actually a really good spot. This is a great situation to have Bradley Beal and be like dangling him in front of teams. Yep. Um, my question is how many like if you had to stack a line for how many twenty and ten games Thomas Bryant will have. Is it like fifteen? Uh, let me see real quickly how many he had last year. Do you do you have that handy by chance? Off the top of my head, I do not have one, that. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 30. He had like fifteen last year. So I like thirty. I'll now? take the over on fifteen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, w- I would say he has twenty five, twenty and ten games. I think that's a. I think that's a legit. That's a. That's a good guess. Okay. Yeah. I. I mean, they're going to be really bad. The more I think about it. You know, especially if and when they trade Beal. I mean, we've we've talked about like Thomas Bryant is pretty much for sure the second best player on the team. The point guard situation is going to be a disaster. Yes, Rui Hachimura is going to have a nice opportunity at power forward, but if he's if he's not fully ready, um, which he probably won't be because he's a rookie, uh, that's going to get pretty messy. But um, that'll do it for us. We have the NFL podcast coming in here. They're batting down the the, door in the studio, so <laughs> we'll wrap this up. This was fun though, but we'll be back next week. <laughs>